Guys, you can be seated. Good to see you this morning. Happy New Year to all of you. Um, man, I tell you, we're, Laura, Laura, man, Laura is, when we talk about chili cook-off, Laura, Juan did win one year, but Lori, Laura has won two years. Laura has a, is a two-time champion of, of the chili cook-off, so Laura is the one that uh, you want to go after. She's the, she's the competition. But uh, no, it's exciting. There's lots of good things happening and uh, look, looking forward to some things coming up. Uh, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, we started a series last week that, we, that I just call Starting Point. Um, where would be a good starting point for us when it comes to uh, our faith, when it comes to being a, a, a Jesus follower? Or maybe you're somebody that's kind of looking into the Christian faith. Maybe you're not sure about, you know, about all of it and you're sort of just wondering what it's about. This would be a good starting point for you. This would be a good place for you to understand about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Last week we looked at uh, a guy um, who was a follower of Jesus. He was actually uh, the forerunner of Jesus. He went before Jesus um, publicly um, went public in his ministry. Uh, his name was John the Baptist. And the thing that we learned about John the Baptist is the thing that you and I should start, a place where you and I should start. And that is he decided in his life that God created him, made him, formed him, shaped him to be, to decrease so that Jesus can increase. I mean, that's a good place for us to start, that he was confident, he was sure in who he was. You know, he, he was probably a guy that looked like, you know, somebody that you wouldn't want to hang out with or spend a whole lot of time with, but he didn't care. He didn't, that didn't matter to him. What, where his identity was found was his identity was found in who he was in God, who he was in Christ. And so that's where I hope that you start your, um, your identity, that your identity is not found in you know, what you do or who you're with or where you go, that your identity is found in the Lord, and that's a good place to start. And, and uh, John, John the Baptist said, you know what? I need to become less so that Jesus can become more. And here's what Jesus said about John the Baptist that I thought was interesting. Um, and he, what else he said about really anyone. And he says this in, in John, or excuse me, Luke chapter number seven. He says, I say to you, among those born of woman, there is no one greater than John. I mean, what a statement that the Son of God said about someone. He said, there's no one greater than John born of a woman. But then Jesus says this, yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. He says there's there's a potential, there's a possibility that you could be considered in the eyes of Jesus even greater than John the Baptist. Well, what does that mean? What well, how do we do that? Well, it's those who are least in the kingdom of God. You say, what does that mean? Well, um, when I was growing up in elementary school, maybe you had these days too. Did anybody, you guys know what field day, you guys remember field day? Uh, and I think maybe some of the, you guys have those field days. Well, the school that I went to, you, were, um, you earned uh, ribbons, you know, for first, second, or third place in a particular, you know, an event or activity uh, at your school. And so um, 
our, our class, man, we had a, we were competitive in, in my class, in my elementary <laughs> class. I mean, every single year we were competitive. And, you know, they knew who, who, who to, you know, go after. You know, they knew that I was the guy that they needed to try to beat. And uh, I know that I don't look fast, but I got wheels. I still have wheels. You know, Mark Russell will tell you that. You know, I mean, I, got, I play softball. I mean, I can get around those bases, Wit. I can, I can really fly. I'm telling you. I know I don't look it, but I can. And so you want to race? Is that what you're saying? Who wants to race? You want to race me? Right, right. We'll race right now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So we would have this competition, these field day competitions. And uh, you know how that, those worked, you know? Who was the best? Who was the greatest? Well, it was the one who won the most ribbons. Who was the best? Who was the greatest? It was the one who took first, right? Who was considered to be the best was the, you know, the one that, you know, was, you know, finished and had, you know, the, the, collected the most amount of, of uh, you know, ribbons or points. That's what was considered to be the best. Well, that's how culture is, isn't it? I mean, that's how the, what the world is that we live in. If you have the most, you're the greatest. If you finish first, you're the greatest. If you're the best at something, you're the greatest. This is how our culture works. This is how the world works. And we live in this kind of world. If you sell the most, you're considered the best in your field. If you, you know, accumulate the most, you know, stuff and, you know, have the biggest or the, you know, or the finest, you're considered to be, you know, accomplish something, achieve something in this world. That's how the world works. But that's not what the kingdom of God says is the best. That's not what Jesus would say is considered to be the greatest. In, in Matthew chapter 18, the disciples are commonly having this discussion about who's the greatest. I mean, they are recognizing that they're following, they're a follower of Jesus. They're recognizing the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. They're recognizing the fact that he's a savior, and they're trying to process what that all looks like. But in that, they're, they're going, they're wondering who's going to have the best position, position in heaven? Who's going to be able to be Jesus's right-hand man? I mean, they thought that they were extremely special, and they were, that they were chosen by Jesus, the 12 of them, to follow him. And so they're sort of commonly having this discussion of who is the greatest. And this is where we pick it up in Matthew 18. And for, in verse number one, it says this. And at the time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I mean, who asked that, right? Who, who says, you know, at this time they're going, Whoa, who then is the greatest? Okay, like, yeah, there's 12 of us and we're following you, but can you just let us know so that we can stop all this discussion amongst each other? Because, you know, Peter's trying to prove his point and John's trying to prove his point of why he's the greatest. And, you know, Matthew's trying to prove his point of why he's the greatest. And, and so they're finally, you're, they're finally asking Jesus, okay, Jesus, would you just put this to bed? Would you just put this to rest? You tell us who the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is. You know what the problem was here? The problem was pride, don't you think? I mean, there was a need for humility. I got, a, I got news for you. You know what the church needs? Humility. You know what the problem is with, with people that we call themselves followers of Jesus? You know what the biggest problem is? 
pride. You know why sin entered into the world and, and destroyed you know, what we know as you know, God's order and God's creation? You know what destroyed that? Pride destroyed that. It was Adam and Eve deciding that they were going to do what they wanted to do, ignore what God told them to do, and they, because of their pride, sin was brought into the world. Do you know that we have an enemy? His name is Satan, and Satan is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. Do you know he was an angel of God, one of the highest ranking angels of God? And you know why he was cast out of heaven? Because of something called pride. Don't you think that pride is a problem in our culture today? Don't you and I always sometimes want to know if we're the best at something? If we're the greatest at something, don't there's something inside of us, a longing inside of us that says, I want to be the best. I want to be first. This is an issue. This was an issue with the disciples. And here's what uh, William Temple says. He, he, let me just share this quote with you. Here's what William Temple said. Humility does not mean thinking less of yourself than the, of other people, nor does it mean having a low opinion of your own gifts. It means freedom from thinking of yourself one way or the other at all. You know, it's interesting how God designed us. How God designed us, it's interesting. God made it difficult for us to pat ourselves on the back and kick ourselves in the behind, didn't he? Just how he made us. God, in his wisdom, formed us in that way. Where it's, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I'm kind of patting myself on the shoulder, but I can't oh, get to the back. You know, I want to kick myself in the behind sometimes. Listen, pride works both ways. It works both ways. Um, I took some, uh, I was a part of a kid's camp. And uh, we went to this camp, and we were trying to teach the kids this principle, this kingdom of, of God principle of being least. And so we told the kids, we said, hey, if you, you know, do what you're supposed to do, listen to your counselors, you know, be on your best behavior, you're going to be rewarded. You're going to have not one dessert, but you're going to get two desserts when it comes to dinner time. And they're like, and so you should have saw the kids, man. They were like trying to do everything that they possibly could to be on their best behavior. And so we, we decided, okay, after each day, you know, before dinner, that we were going to pick, you know, one or two kids that we thought, you know, did, did the best that day. And so we would choose these kids. And so they would think that they were going to get in line for dessert and they were going to get, you know, a couple desserts. But we said, no, 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 you got to wait. And they're thinking, wait a second, I thought you said that I was the best. I thought you said that, that I would be rewarded. And, I, and we would say, yeah, you are the best, you did the best, but in the kingdom of God, the best is last. And they were like, well, I don't wanna be the best then. And so we would make them wait. This was, I know, we were terrible, mean counselors. I know. You're like, that's cruel. I, you know, we're just trying to teach principles here. You know, I don't, it doesn't say they liked it, but we were just trying to teach principles. The least, the last in the kingdom of God is considered the best or is considered to be the greatest. And it's a humility thing. It's a humility thing. And there is a need for humility. And so here are the disciples going, okay, Jesus, just settle the issue. 
We've debated over it for, for years. Just settle the issue. Who's the greatest in your kingdom? And you know who Jesus pointed at? He pointed at a toddler. He pointed at some little kid that was in the room at the time with the disciples and said, they are. And look at what it says in verse number two. It says this. And he called a child to himself and set him among them and said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted, or, or that word means unless you change your mindset, unless you are converted or unless you change your mindset and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, unless you have a different to insight or a different point of view on yourself and, and on others, you will not have any part of the kingdom of heaven. You will not have any part of the kingdom of God. You need to change your mindset. What they were waiting for was for him to point at one of them and say, you're the greatest, you're second, you're third, and does it matter after that? I don't think so. No, he didn't point to any of them. He said, really, right now, None of you are what I would consider the greatest. This little lad is the greatest. And if you don't have the mindset of a child, you are not getting into the kingdom of heaven. This was bold stuff. And he's, he's only getting warmed up. You say, why does, what does that mean? What does it mean that he would pull a little toddler into amongst them and say, this little child is like somebody who is a representation of somebody who's the greatest in the kingdom? What, what, what does that mean? Well, I think that means a couple things. I think it means for as children, children are, number one, they're dependent. Aren't they? I mean, my son was sick this week, you know, and it would have been sort of like rude for me to say to him, all right, we'll go to the doctor and let me know what they say. <laughs> no, he was dependent on somebody taking him to the doctors. He was dependent on somebody paying the copay at the doctors. He was dependent upon somebody going and calling in a prescription and somebody going to pick up the prescription that he needed. And, and he was dependent on making sure that he took his medicine when he was supposed to take his medicine. Wade, you were in that position too, weren't you? They were, they were dependent on, they're dependent on us. I mean, they're dependent on my kids, your, your children, were dependent on you keeping them warm this week, weren't they? I mean, without us, they would be in the cold. Without us, they would be in trouble. But they are dependent upon keeping them cold. Not too long ago, uh, my, one of my kids asked me if, uh, if uh, they could have some, some sort of, I don't know, chicken fries or something like that. You, you feed your kid chicken fries. We feed our kid chicken fries. Maybe you don't. I don't know. It doesn't matter. That's beside the point. Anyways, it doesn't even really matter what it was. They just were hungry, okay? They were hungry. And so they were like, you know, can we have, I said, yeah, you can have this. A little while later, about, you know, 30 minutes later, you know, I said, well, how was your lunch? And they said, we didn't have lunch yet because you didn't make it for us. And I said, well, why don't you make chicken fries? They said, and one of my kids said, Dad, we don't know how to work the oven. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm probably, it's probably a good idea that they don't know how to work the oven yet. It's like, well, I, they were dependent on, I didn't know, I thought they could just handle it on their own. No, they were dependent on making sure that things worked. 
I, I had to tell my kids this Christmas, you probably, maybe some of you have d- did the same. I had to tell my kids what they got my wife, what they got their mother for Christmas. Here's what you got mom for Christmas. You know why? Because they don't have any money. They can't provide for their, so I was like, this is what you got mom. You want to see it before I wrap it? You know, I think I at least made them wrap it for, for their mom, you know. And so this is how they are, you know. This is how that works. Why? What, are, what does that mean for us? That means that we need to have, we need to change our mindset when it comes to understanding our Heavenly Father. That it's easy for us, as, especially as grown adults, it's easy for us to think that we've got it. We can handle it. I've done this all on my own. I've succeeded in my business all by myself. And God, I don't think I really need you. That's pride. I don't know if you know this or not, but what you have is only from heaven. Didn't John the Baptist say that? When we looked at that, he says everything that we have, everything good and perfect comes from above. What you have, ma'am, what you have, sir, is because God in his grace and in his kindness said, here you go, steward it the best you possibly can. By the way, you don't own it, it's mine, but do the best you can with it. That's dependent upon a God who says, I will give, but by the way, Job, I will take away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. How we become great in the kingdom is by becoming dependent upon a God who provides everything for us. The other reason why he gave an example of a child, not only because they're dependent, but because they're trusty. They're trusty. You know, you could tell a toddler anything. I remember when I put um, my son to bed when, when he was, I don't know, three or four. He asked me a question. We were laying in the bed, and he asked me a question. Dad, Dad what do you do? Something like that. What do you do? I said, what do you, I said by day? He goes, he didn't quite understand what I was meaning. I go, yeah. He goes, I go, he goes yeah. I, you know, I work at a church. I go, but by night, I fight crime. <laughs> he goes, okay. <laughs> he goes, that's cool. And then I go, but don't tell mom. <laughs> he goes, okay. He didn't. I mean, for all he knew, I was a pastor by day and a superhero by night. <laughs> he completely trusted me. You know, you can tell your kid, you know, like, I don't recommend you lying to your kids. And I was like, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know, I, I made sure, you know, like, uh, you can send me an email later. I don't care. But listen, tr- it, the kids are just trusting in that way. I remember when I was uh, speaking to a group of kids in Honduras, and there was probably, I don't know, 100 plus kids there. And I was just sharing the gospel of Jesus. I mean, these are kids that never heard the gospel before, and I was telling them about the love of Jesus and what Jesus did for them, what Jesus, how Jesus died on the cross for their sins, and he, he paid the sin, the sin penalty for them, you know, that they can be forgiven of their sins. And, and, and not only did he die on the cross, but he rose from the grave. And I said, who, I said, who wants to ask Jesus into your heart? Every single 100-plus kid raised their hand. Because they trusted me. You know what they didn't have? They didn't have any doubts. 
They didn't have any skepticism. They didn't have any worry about what somebody else would think if they decided that they wanted to ask Jesus because they decided they want to ask Jesus into their heart. It was just pure trust that what this guy is telling them is that there is a savior and his name is Jesus and he paid for their sins so that they can go and be with him in his kingdom forever. And a hundred plus kids go, I'm signing up for that. And just to be sure, just to make sure that they understood what I was saying, I was saying, listen, but now you can't live for yourself. You have to live for him. You have to be obedient to his word. Who still wants this? Every single kid raised his hand. Why? Because they're kids and they trust. They trust. They trust what, they're, what you're saying is true. They believe what, they're, what you're saying is true. And this is the kind of trust that Jesus wants us to have. Jesus is saying, listen, you want to be great in the kingdom. Let me pull in a toddler. Let me put him in front of you and say, they're the greatest. Why? Because they're dependent on me. Why? Because they trust me. That's what makes someone the greatest. He gives them an example of that. But... There is always going to be a cost to humility. There's always a need for humility. And Jesus then gives us an example of what humility looks like by bringing in this child and saying, this is a picture of what it means to be great in the kingdom. But there's always going to be a cost too. There's always going to be a requirement to your humility. Look what he says in verse number six. Verse six. He says, but whoever causes, now this is where Jesus is getting really serious now. He's like really starting to go, you're going to go, what in the world, Jesus? But whoever causes one of these little ones, so he's showing this little child, one of these little ones who believe in me, so he's given sort of this example. These little ones are, are, is a picture or a representation of, of someone who believes in me, one who believes in me. If you cause them to stumble, he says, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to become drowned in the depths of the sea. So first he's given you know, this picture of this little child and he's saying to them, listen, those who believe in me, you better not, disciples, you better not, followers of me, you better not be responsible for causing this little one or in other words, somebody who is a follower of me, you better not be responsible for them to stumble. You better not, it, it, you, you better be careful about what you do or what you say that would cause this little one to stumble. There's a story of a, a man who was an alcoholic. Every night he would put his kids to bed and he would leave his house and he would walk down to the bar down the street. One night he put his son to bed, walked outside to the bar to drink, and he heard in the middle of the night, he heard the crunching of snow behind him. And as he's walking, he, still, he hears more crunching of snow behind him, and finally he turns around and he sees it's, it's his son. And he said, son, what are you doing? 
And the son said to him this, I'm just walking in your footsteps. The man turned around and never went back to the bar again. Listen, Jesus is saying, listen, you need a humble person cares more about others than they do their own self. A humble person, a humble are more concerned than that others don't stumble. That's what a humble person is more concerned about. They don't want to see somebody else stumble. They don't want to see somebody else fall. And Jesus says, this is what's better. If you, if you don't humble yourself, and if you don't stop because of your decisions or your choices, don't stop causing somebody else to stumble, he says, then you are, you, it, what would be better for you? Here's what, he, here's what he says. Throw that verse up for me, Gabe. Would you mind doing that in verse six? He says, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Like what in the world? This was a Roman execution. Crucifixion was a Roman execution, but also this was a Roman execution. They would tie a chain around the person's neck with a heavy hundreds of pounds of rock on the other end. They would bring the criminal, put the criminal in in a boat, take him out to the middle of the sea and throw the criminal in the water with the heavy rock around its neck and they would drown to death. This was an execution that the Romans did. This was something that extremely feared the Jews of, of, you know, crossing the Roman government or Roman officials because they didn't want this to happen to them. They didn't want to be crucified, that's for sure, but they also didn't want this to happen to them. And Jesus is saying, you know what's better for you? You know what's better? It would be better that you have a heavy millstone hung around your neck, taken out to the sea and drowned than it would be for you, follower of Jesus, to cause another follower of Jesus to stumble in their faith. And here's the reality. The reality is is that every one of us has the power or the potential to cause someone else to have anger issues, to have envy, to be jealous, to slander, to gossip. We all have the power and the ability to cause somebody else to to sin, to stumble. And Jesus is saying, listen, a humble person is more concerned with the well-being of others of somebody else and they're more concerned that somebody else doesn't stumble that's what a humble person does and it's not just you as an alcoholic that is you know teaching your kids that that's okay and they're going to be alco- it's it's it could be as subtle as maybe you recognize that there's some pride issue in your life and you don't want to pass that off to them or pass that off to somebody else maybe you have you know you can't keep your mouth quiet about things and you just keep going on and on talking about somebody behind their back and you can't keep your mouth shut but then that your kids hear that or your spouse hears that and you're causing them to start gossiping and slandering other people. It could be at that level as well. Do you see it? But you and I all have the power. You and I all have the potential to cause someone else 
to stumble. But a humble person says, you know what, I'm, I'm more concerned. I'm more concerned that somebody else doesn't stumble. So I'm gonna keep my mouth shut. I'm gonna pray that God removes whatever issues that I have in my life. I'm gonna pray because I don't want anybody else to fall because of, for my sake, because of something that I've done, because of something that I've said. The Apostle Paul, on two different occasions, he wrote letters to the church of Rome, Roman church, and also to the church in Corinth. And on two different occasions, they had a dispute going on. You see, the church at that time it was, was becoming um, very diverse, very diverse. And one of the biggest areas that it was diverse was where Jews, strict Jews, were becoming Jesus followers, were becoming Christians, but then pagan Gentiles were also becoming Christians. And so they're coming together. They're, the strict Jews had their, you know, their, their hang-ups. The strict Jews thought, man, I can't eat pork. I, you know, I, I, I forbid to eat pork. It's not good. I shouldn't eat pork. And they also had recognized lots of different days as what they called holy days. They recognized different days, days like Sabbath. And so when the strict Jews, they're, they're still hung up on the fact that they shouldn't eat pork or, and they're still hung up on the fact that, you know, that they don't maybe have to recognize all of these different holy days. But on the other side of the spectrum, you have these pagan Gentiles. And the pagan Gentiles were, 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 were hung up on the fact that they didn't want to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. So any meat that was given as a sacrifice to, another, to an idol, they didn't want to eat that meat because they thought that the, you know, that the demon or the po that meat was poisoned, so they wouldn't eat meat that was sacrificed to idols, or many of them didn't want to drink, you know, have wine or, or have a strong drink. And so you have two different sides here. You have strict Jews, you have pagan Gentiles now trying to come together to be the church of Jesus Christ together, and and the, the pagan Gentiles are looking at the Jews going, why don't you eat pork? Who cares? It's just a pig, you know, big deal. Like, you know, pork is good, you know. Bacon, if you had bacon, it's amazing. Ham, are you kidding? You know, and the strict Jews are going, no, that's, it's, it's uh, unclean. It, we, we can't eat it. And, and, the, and the pagan Gentiles are going, no, it's not unclean. It's, it's delicious, you know. And so then on the other side of the spectrum, the strict Jews are saying to the Gentiles, hey, Gentiles, what's wrong? There's no idols. There's only one God. So any meat that was offered or sacrificed to these idols, it, it's not contaminated because there's no idols. So just eat any meat. You're telling us to eat our pork and we're enjoying steak. I don't know what they're eating. Hamburgers, who knows? But whatever it was, they're going, you can eat this. And Paul wrote to them and said this. He, look what he says in verse uh, Romans 14. Uh, this is, so then when we pursue the things which make for peace, and the building up of one another, he says this, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. So they're arguing about food. Jews thought that they shouldn't eat pork. Gentiles thought they shouldn't eat meat sacrificed to idols. He says, don't let the work of God be torn down for the sake of food. He says, all things indeed are clean but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. 
He's saying, listen, some of the Gentiles think that meat sacrificed to idols shouldn't be eaten. The Jews think that pork shouldn't be eaten. He says, and then he goes on and says, it is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. He says, here's the point. I, it's not what you eat or don't eat. It's not what day you observe or don't observe, whether you think it's wrong or not. That's not the point. The point is, is that you don't let, you don't tear down the work of God for the sake of your brother's consciousness, for the sake of maybe allowing your brother to stumble. And so he would tell the Jews, hey Jews, if they don't feel comfortable eating meat sacrificed to idols, then don't give them a hard time. Hey Gentiles, if the Jews don't feel comfortable eating pork and, and they want to recognize every single holiday, then let them do it. Because what's more important is unity in the body of Christ. What's more important is you aren't responsible to cause your brother to stumble. The humble are more concerned that others don't stumble. And a humble person says, you know what, I don't, maybe I don't think it's wrong. Maybe I don't have a problem with it. Maybe my conscience isn't bothered by it, but if it bothers them, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. That's what a humble person says. You know, if they wanna recognize some day as being holy and set apart and unique and different, if that's what they wanna recognize as a day that's holy and set apart and different, you know what? Then they can have that. That's fine with me. I'm not gonna tell them that it's not. I'm not gonna tell them it's not. For you to be responsible, for me to be responsible for causing somebody else to stumble. Jesus said, you know what would be better for you? A rock around your neck thrown into the middle of the sea and drowned to death. Boy, that's strong stuff, huh? That's Jesus telling it the way that it is, isn't it? That's what he's trying to say. This is the most important thing. And then he's, he, he takes it up an, another notch. Are you ready for this? Like, he's not even done. Like, that, that, you're like, man, he's, I mean, for, for, yeah, absolutely. Look what he says now. He says, I want you to, this is how important this is. Let me show you in verse eight, maybe. Yeah. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. And throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than, for, than to have two hands or two feet and to be cast into eternal fire. Now you're saying, is he talking literally? No. He says, if your eye causes you to stumble, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out, throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into a fiery hell. Now, what is Jesus saying? Is Jesus saying, man, you know, if, you're, if your right hand is causing you to stumble, you should cut it off, you know? That would be a lot of us walking in here, you know, with one hand, you know, with a patch over our eye. It's like, uh, no, that's not what Jesus is asking. He, what he's saying is this. If 
there's something in your life, if there's something in your life that is causing you to stumble and therefore causing somebody else to stumble, you need to cut it off. You need to pluck it out. The humble, the humble person deal decisively with their own sins and are therefore the least likely to cause others to stumble. A humble person says, you know what? I've got some hangups. I've got some issues. I've got some stuff that I'm dealing with, that I'm working through. And, say, and you say, what am I supposed to do with that? And Jesus would say, you need to cut it off. You need to cut it off. He said it would be better for you. It would be better for you to be financially maimed. It would be better for you to be financially blinder. Than it, than it would be if you were allowing your finances. And so he would say maybe something along the lines of, you know, maybe if you're letting your finances get out of control and you're in this, you know, um, 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 insurmountable amount of debt, he would say, you know, maybe you should cut a, up a credit card or two. Maybe you should, you know, get rid of some things in your life. If you got like some issues that you're looking at stuff that you know is not right and you shouldn't be looking at that stuff and, and you're thinking, well, man, I don't know how to go through life without the internet or go through life without this particular device. Well, Jesus would say, you know what's better? It's better to go all out of, through life without these things than it is not to get into heaven and find yourself in hell. That would be better. This is tough stuff. I know. You didn't prepare for this, I don't think. But this is Jesus saying, man, this is serious business. And you want a starting point? A starting point is humility. And a starting point for you and for me is to be humble and to humble ourselves and say, you know what? It's better that I decisively deal with my sin and therefore we'll have a better chance of not causing somebody else to stumble. That's what a humble person thinks. That's what a humble person thinks. And so Jesus is saying, listen, yeah, yeah, I mean, here's an example of humility. It's like a little child who is dependent, a little child who is trusting. But there's a cost to your humility, and that is that you, in your pride, you don't cause somebody else to stumble because it would be better that you drown with a rock around your neck. It would be better for you to walk through life without a hand or without an eye than it would be for you to continue to live and to walk in your sin. So Jesus is saying you and I need to do whatever necessary to cut out whatever is in our way. And for all of us, that means, what is it? What is it that is causing you to continue to stumble and therefore probably allowing somebody that is close to you, somebody that you care about, somebody that you love to continue to stumble as well? What is it in your life that you need to cut out? What is it in your life that you need to get rid of? What is it in your life that you need to start saying no to? Why? Because I don't want to be an example to anyone else in my life and to be responsible for causing them to stumble. I don't want any part of that in my life. And 
that's what Jesus is telling us. Listen, a humble person says, you know what? I'm going to rid these things of my life. I'm going to free myself of these things in my life. And if that means I just have to become least, well, that means that I'm greatest in the kingdom. If that means that I have to give up the most, that just means that I'm greatest in the kingdom. If I have to be last at my job at work because work is causing me to compromise my family dynamic, my family relationship. I just have too much workload going on, but I'm just addicted to my job. I'm addicted to that paycheck that's coming in. And maybe I just need to cut some hours out of my life so that I can put those hours back into my family where they need to be. And if that means I'm last when it comes into the numbers at work, that's okay. The world will say I'm last, but God will say I'm first in the kingdom because I've got my priorities in order. I'm seeing what's more important in my life. It is not what I gain in this world. You can gain the whole world, Jesus said. But you're going to lose your soul. You can get whatever you want to achieve or accomplish. Listen, be successful but do it for the glory of God and don't compromise the things that are important. Be rich and have stuff. Just invite me over to use it. I don't care, but just do it for the glory of God and for his purposes. Use it for his sake and to not sacrifice what is important. But maybe, maybe there's something that you have or doing in your life to say, I've got to cut that out. I've got to eliminate that in my life because I don't want to be somebody that because of my sin, it's affecting my marriage. It's affecting my relationships. It's a reflect, re affecting my responsibilities at work because of something that I'm holding on to. Jesus said, hey, don't be that kind of person. That's just pride. That's just pride. And pride has caused a whole lot of problems in the world. Don't you think? What the world needs is somebody like a John the Baptist. What the world needs is really somebody like a Jesus that said, you know what? Jesus came, I mean, we just, we heard the Christmas story. Jesus came in the lowliest of cities, a city that wasn't even on the map, in a trough that horses feed out of, cows feed out of. I mean, Jesus came in the humblest of ways and Jesus came, he said, I am not here to be served. I am here to serve. That's why he said, I'm setting the example for you. I am getting on my knees with a bowl of water and with a towel and I'm getting on my knees and I'm going to wash your feet. And as I wash your feet, I want you to wash other people's feet. Why did he do that? He says, because in my kingdom, that's what makes someone great. And John the Baptist said, I just need to become less so that he can become more and therefore I'm just gonna decrease and he's gonna increase 
And Jesus said, there's never been a person born of a woman greater than John the Baptist. Yet, I love that part, yet, and anybody that becomes least will be greater than him. In all of humility, I hope that you want to become greater than John the Baptist. I hope that your goal in 2018 is to say, I want to become greater than John the Baptist. You see, that sounds like pride. Not if you respond in a way that you're supposed to respond. You need to become least. You need to become servant. You need to be put others first in your life. You need to consider God first, others second, and then maybe you consider yourself somewhere down the line. That's how you become great. Boy, what a starting point for a new year, I think. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Father, we, um, Lord, we just fall into the authority of your word. And we look at what you have to say. And as children, as your children, we change our mindset. We are converted. And to be completely and utterly dependent upon you. That we just know that what we have is yours and what you've given us is yours and we just, we just are dependent upon you to provide for us and to meet our needs and to you know, give us a, another day to, um, to try to give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. We're just completely dependent on you. And as a child, as we're converted, we just want to trust you we trust you. We believe what you say. We, we believe that if you tell us that to become least, to become last, is to be first in your kingdom. That we have the least is better than having the most and not compromising our position as your children and not compromising our position as husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers and whatever title that we have here that, that, that it's just we're, we're trusting what you tell us and know that that is that is the best for us and we're not responsible for causing anyone else to stumble in our life so Father I just pray Lord that that's what we are this year that we just humble ourselves to you and we surrender, we cut out, we put an end to whatever is getting in our way, whatever is preventing us from realizing the greatness that you see in all of us. I pray, Lord, that the example that we have is your son, Jesus, who, is, who humbled himself, who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a Roman cross. We thank you for that he demonstrated that humility and that example for us. I pray for each one here. I pray you give them a great week, a week that is just about you and serving you and with all of their heart, so mind and strength. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Happy New Year.